0: Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Good morning, everyone, or almost good afternoon. I'm so glad that you are here, kind of enduring this heat wave. Thank you very much, Maria and worship team. Um, Hey, Good news is on the horizon. This is our second last in person, uh, or sorry, our second last drive in service, and hopefully we'll be able to get ourselves inside over the next couple of weeks. And so I'm excited about that. So uh, if you're getting too warm, feel free to start your car up so you can stay cool as far as that is concerned. And hey, There is a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of uh, COVID-19 and social distancing and things like that. You can even see in the sports world, uh, if you're watching uh, any of the sporting events, that in the States, a lot of the stadiums are just jam-packed with people, and so we're kind of looking forward to that, right? Amen? So, um, and having said that, you may not realize this, but the Olympics are happening I think in a week or a week and a half, and uh, that's always kind of an interesting thing to do. Uh, I find it interesting as uh, as we get talking about the Olympics, and uh, hey, maybe online as you're, you're you're watching this, you can talk about perhaps some of the best uh, the, your most favorite sports in the Summer Olympics, and the and it's it's kind of interesting. Now, I have used this, I've used this illustration before, and and so for those of you who who uh, have seen it before, the, my apologies for that. And I wanted to talk about something. I shared this uh, something similar to this message a couple of years ago, but it seems to have a new meaning, and I wanted to kind of um, speak again on the, the topic. And what happens is, despite the fact that there is the uh, Olympics which are taking place and all these and the stories that are behind it, but sometimes there happens to be sp- um, hard feelings that happen because, hey, sometimes people just don't get the credit that they deserve. Have you ever realized that? Like It happens in any sports, and and perhaps the best one to, to show it would be football, which is kind of why I have this here. Because many times as we take a look at the lives of our kids, we, we realize that, that our kids have a level of talent that no other kids have, of course. And we can kind of see it because we're parents. Other people and other parents may not see it. And so, what happens is we see this talent, and as a father, we seem to be the first one to see it. And as a dad, we feel that it is our responsibility to perhaps see our kids doing the best at the highest levels of athleticism. And we'll just use the, the, the analogy of a football player, and we just see, oh, my son is going to be the best football player that it is. I can just tell right now, just the way he walks, the way he throws the ball, the way he conducts himself, he's going to find himself in the NFL. And so it is my job as a father to make sure that he makes it to that elite state. And so what I do is I buy him a football. And when I buy him the football, I say, you know, you've got to have the fingers on the laces if you're going to throw a perfect spiral. And if, you know, if you're going to catch the ball, you've got to catch the ball with your hands. You can't catch the ball with your body because then you fumble it that way. And then I go in and begin to talk about the fact that when you tackle a person, you kind of have to tackle him and, and keep an eye on his core because if you're not looking at the core, he's going to deep you out. And you go into the fact that you need to be able to read a blitz, and you, you need to know the difference between an I formation and a Y formation and a, D, uh, a nickel and a dime defense. And, and if the re- wide receiver, if he's kind of going in one direction, you're not only going to keep an eye on them, but you've got to look at the way the other running backs and the other receivers are leaning because you're going to be able to know exactly what's going on. And so you take a look, and if they fall down, you bring them up and you dust them down, and you remind them of the fact that that dirt on their uniform and that blood on their uniform and that sweat on their uniform, that's a trophy. And you remind them of the fact that those people who have clean uniforms are usually the ones who are sitting on the bench. You don't want to be sitting on the bench. And as they get better, you take them to camps that are run by uh, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. And and, uh, you remind them of the fact that a, a kicker is not really a football player, but somebody who just got kicked off the soccer team. And so... What happens is your child becomes wonderful football player. As a matter of fact, they make it to the NFL or the CFL, and they make it to the Grey Cup, or they make it to the Super Bowl. And by sheer guidance of God, what happens is the pass is thrown into the end zone, and your child catches the ball with no time left, winning the football game. And they take that ball, and they spike it down. Don't hit the camera. Okay. They spike that ball down, and they look at that camera, and two words come out of their mouth, and it is this, hi, mom. Hi, mom. Now, mom wasn't out there throwing the football. Mom wasn't out there doing all those things, but for some reason, that seems to be the word that comes out. And I say all that to say this, that acknowledgement is unimportant until we don't receive it. And acknowledgement is extremely important when we get into the Word of God and we begin to talk about wisdom. And it's crucial for you as you begin to seek God for wisdom in your life. And so we are continuing on in a service in the book of Proverbs, and it's called The Pursuit of Wisdom. And last week we began to talk about the fact that uh, the book of Proverbs, in the first third of the book, is is an analogy which is interwoven through of a woman who is calling out like a town crier saying you need to seek wisdom and and the book starts off with saying that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and and James says that wisdom is a faith thing but Proverbs says it's also a fight thing that that it is so important that you got to pursue it with everything and it's the most valuable thing that you can possibly get and and so we are left with the thought that there is God seeking to move and to pursue wisdom. And Wisdom is, wisdom is an important thing. and the thing is, wisdom is not um, Wisdom is not necessarily knowing Jesus, uh, but the wisest thing you can do is to know Jesus, because there is a conventional wisdom that we get from, from learning and from reading. And for making mistakes and from watching other people's mistakes and for having a perception of life. And that is a wonderful thing to have. And you do everything you can to gain wisdom in that way, and you get everything you can to, to get wisdom in that manner. But the word of God seems to say that if you passionately follow Jesus, if you know Him, that there is an element of wisdom that can only be given. By the God of the universe, who is not only all-knowing, but knows the past, the present, and the future. And God wants you to strive for that wisdom. And I believe that God is calling us to live and operate our lives in a scope that is beyond our ability. And he's willing to give us the wisdom that is necessary for us to be able um, to, to continue in that. Wisdom is calling. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we answering and I need this wisdom. As a pastor, I need this wisdom. If you're a business owner, I think you need this wisdom. If you're here and you have children, they're away from God, you need that wisdom. You may have children who are, are challenged or, you know, there's, there's perhaps issues that are taking place. You're not too sure how to deal with it. You need wisdom. You need the wisdom of God. Or maybe you're here and... and uh, you're entering the retirement years and you're saying, I'm not too sure how to, how to navigate through this. Or maybe you're a student about to go to school and you're in your last year and you're saying, God, I don't, I don't know. We, it's not going to be one time in your life where you are not going to need wisdom. And as I talked about wisdom uh, last week, there were a number of people who came afterwards and said, hey, can you pray for me? I just started a business and, and I need that you pray for me. I don't know exactly how to deal with my kids. Can you pray for me? And so we're going to pray for it again. We're going to trust that God is going to move and minister. But if you have, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to talk about perhaps the most famous passage of Scripture in the book of Proverbs. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3, um, verses 5 and 6. When I was in Bible college, I had a, a Bible Scripture kind of attached to my yearbook And this was it, and I would imagine if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you know this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to dedicate two weeks to it. Uh, But I want to talk about what is called the acknowledgement factor. And it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. You've probably heard that. You've probably applied it. You've probably prayed it out many times. And it's kind of a a simple passage of Scripture. It's just kind of four elements, isn't there? Trust, lean not, acknowledge, and then seek His direction. It's easy. And all I would like to do is emphasize one of those points and to find out a little bit deeper what exactly it's talking about. And it's this. What does it mean? to acknowledge God? What does it look like? Why is acknowledgement so important? Because acknowledgement is linked to life worship. The literal term for acknowledgement is to know. Acknowledgement. It is actually in the word. But if you take a look in both the Hebrew and the Greek, it talks about knowing, but it also talks about remembering and it's hard to acknowledge someone that you don't know it's it is to recognize to concede to come to the conclusion in heart and mind that God is the director of my life and the controller of my path God comes as the first thought and not the last thought so there's some interesting things about acknowledgement while you're here today and I'm trusting that as you leave today that God will challenge you to take a new look at this word which is called acknowledge because to, know, um, to acknowledge God, first of all, is crucial. And it is crucial for two reasons. The first reason is this. When you acknowledge God, you basically place God in the place that he needs to be. Secondly, you place yourself in the place where you need to be in respect to God. So basically, acknowledgement puts God in his proper place. And then secondly, it puts my heart in the proper place. See, the Bible never ever um, tells me that I have to have a high view of myself. As a matter of fact, the Bible basically says if you have too high a view of yourself, that's pride. The Bible also says that you shouldn't have a low view of yourself. It actually says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you are, but think of yourself soberly. If you look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, verse 7, the next verse says this, don't be wise in your own eyes. And this is an important passage because I can understand trusting and I can understand leaning not on my own understanding. But I think in our lives, if we are going to fade in this particular passage of Scripture, it is in this, in all my ways to acknowledge Him. That's kind of where we kind of fade, isn't it? To acknowledge God is to have God as the North continually on our compass, So as you're guiding your way through life, God will always be the north point. It is life worship. It is focus recognition. Worship is a lot more than singing songs, isn't it? If worship to you, worship becomes more about yourself than it does God. And so it's more than that. It is is recognizing God for who he is. I remember listening to an author in a book. And he said he was talking to a, a young lady and this lady was saying, you know, I'm thinking of finding another person, another partner in my life because I don't think that my husband that I have now is not is not satisfying me and is not meeting the the need for intimacy in my life. And, and she goes into the fact that she is pursuing other relationships other than her husband. And, and later on in the conversation, she talks about her spirituality. She talks about the fact that she spends an hour uh, every morning with the father, and and so this kind of piqued the interest of the person who was writing the book, and he said, he says, you know, in your meetings with the father, do any moral issues come up that might influence this pending decision about leaving your husband? And she says, hold on a second here. You know, I don't think you have it right here. It says the father and I are into relationship, not morality, but the thing that she realizes is that when we truly worship and know God, God is the center of the universe and not ourselves. It is crucial to acknowledge God because you realize who God is. And when I worship, I open my eyes to the strength and the glory of God. And I surrender myself to the ones in control who knows what's best for me and who nothing is impossible. You know, if I were to ever win an award, I, I would imagine ultimately what I would do is I would be so thankful and gracious for those people who had nominated me for this award and I would go into the fact that there were individuals and there were people in my life who made this accolade possible. But biblical, biblical acknowledgement basically sees it this way. That I am who I am and I have gained whatever I have gained simply because of the glory of God. And if there are other people who have helped me, they are there because God has put them them there. Which leads to this question. Why does God need my acknowledgement? Hey, he's God. You know, is God some kind of an insecure, egotistical being out there demanding to have my worship? Well, no, it's not that way at all. Basically, what your worship does is allow God to be able to operate in your life because it draws you closer to Him. I had the quote that says this, God wants us to worship Him not because He's fragile or has a fragile ego or anything like that. He wants us to worship Him because through our devotion to Him, we move closer to Him. We travel a path that returns us to Him. In other words, He wants us to worship Him for our sake and not for His. Hmm is crucial to acknowledge God and to really understand what it is. But to acknowledge God is not just crucial, but it is continual. It says, in all of your ways, in everything that you do, and you will have to acknowledge God today, but there's going to be things tomorrow that he is going to call on you to acknowledge them. Acknowledgement never, ever stop. In all of your ways, everything that you do, everything that goes on, God wants you to acknowledge Him. And here's the thing. Consider this. That God will always operate in a level of newness. I've heard people say, well, gee, if I'm going to be in heaven for 10 million years, you know, after 10 million years, I'm thinking I'm going to probably be born. But that's not the nature of God. God is continually creating things new. And if God is creating things new, We are continually going to be in a state of acknowledging God for who he is. It says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 5, Behold, I make all things new. Lamentations 3, 22, 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never draw to an end. They are new every morning. God is continually creating new. And so there's a continual need for acknowledgement to God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man creates... Leads me to the conclusion that if faith is not refreshing or exciting it's not God's fault. See what happens is we want to hold on to the predictable. We want to hold on to what he did yesterday. Because if I can hold on to what God did yesterday I can kind of control it. But if God is continually working and doing something new then all of a sudden I have to trust in the fact that there's a God who knows What's best for me? Not only is it crucial, it is something which is continual. And if you look at anyone who begins to waffle in their walk with God, it's because they have forgotten to acknowledge who He really is. It's important. It's important because it's crucial. It is continual. But here's the other one. Because most of you have listened to sermons on this message, on this particular passage many times. Not only is it crucial, not only is it continued, but it is concrete. I believe that when we are to acknowledge God, there is something that we have to usually physically do, or at least something that we need to symbolically do to remember the act. Just take a look at Scripture. Jacob has a dream of a ladder going to heaven. What does he do? He builds an altar. I don't want to forget this time. I don't want to forget what God has done in my life. What are the things that Jesus and, and, and God tells us not to forget? Well, in the Old Testament, um, it was Passover, In the New Testament is communion. Why? Because they symbolize events which talk about the power and the grace and the love of God. And God says, I don't want you for one second to forget what I have done for you. I don't want that feeling to wane in every way. And we all know that as life goes on, it'll be one activity after another activity. And if we don't set something up that says, God, you're in control. You have done this in my life. that eventually it gets washed away with the, the waves of life and the next thing that comes up, the next challenge that we're up against. And God says, listen, do something to acknowledge me. Something that will help you to continue to remember what is going on. And that's why they said, teach your, Jew- teach your children to, to, to know these things. And, and all the things that happen. This is why we have a number of the creeds that have been created throughout history. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Well, these are statements that are so fundamental to our faith. They're so important that they can't be changed. They're something which is absolutely new and necessary for us to have that there are statements of acknowledgement that God has. And so the question is, what do I do? What does the scripture actually tell me to do to acknowledge God? To somehow keep it. Something that has to be purposeful. You know, not just in my mind, but let it go from my mind to my mouth, and from my mouth to my manners, and from my manners to my methods. That says, I am going to give God my life. Worship. It's got to be something which is purposeful. Acknowledgement has to be something which is practical, something which is precise, something which is particular, something which is persistent, something that I regularly do. Acknowledgement needs to be that golden thread that is weaved throughout your life so that you never ever forget the goodness of God. I remember uh, when I was here 25 years ago as uh, the youth pastor that there were certain times and certain challenges that required me to just go and pray in the chapel and And I remember just getting into the habit of taking my shoes off that as soon as I went into the chapel and I began to pray, the first thing I did was take my shoes off. You say, well, that's not really hygienical or whatever. Well, here's the thing. Every time I took my shoes off, it was my way of saying, okay, God, you are Lord. The ground that I'm going to be walking on and what I'm going to be doing is a holy work. And it was my way of acknowledging God. The other thing I did is I wrote down a list of I acknowledge. I acknowledge that you are the Son of God. I acknowledge that anything in my life that matters is because you are there. I acknowledge, Father, that you are the one who is in control of my kids' lives. And there's a big, long list of acknowledgments, And I just put it on my my phone and certain times of the day I will do it and I'll add to that list. And so there was something physical, something symbolic, which makes me continually realize that God is in control and that I have to put God in control. I know some people, what they do is they have their 10 o'clock break and they say, okay, that 10 o'clock break, I'm going to go and I'm going to take a walk and I'm going to give that time to God to ensure that he has the number one spot in my life. Because you know what? Your faith means absolutely nothing unless he's got the number one spot. Your faith doesn't make sense if he's number two or number three. Some people, they set their watch. I know a number of people, another friends of mine that set their, their, their clocks twice a day. And no matter what they're doing, they will stop or they will find a time to stop in their day to just simply worship. To simply acknowledge that the God of this universe is in control of their lives. And they want to make sure that that is the case. What do you do to acknowledge God? Let me just say this. It may be amongst the most important parts of your day. And the challenge is there to you. Okay, God, I want you to direct my paths. And the more you can allow your life to be a representation of worship to God, the greater opportunity God has to impart wisdom on your life. It's amazing how worship and wisdom are connected. Let me finish with this. I have a a friend... And uh, we've kept in contact. He lives in Sudbury. He's one of my closest friends in Sudbury. And uh, he went for, uh, he had an irregular heartbeat. And they said, there's just something, uh, we got a, a routine surgery that we have to do. We have to go to Toronto, drive the four hours to Toronto to do it. And he said, he said it went well, but something went wrong there. And they weren't too sure exactly what it is. They kind of had to stop my heart for a little while in order to be able to make whatever changes that were there. And he said, everything seems fine. And they found out that there was a kind of a hole in his esophagus that was kind of affecting things. And so he was kind of dealing with things and kind of coming through the end of it. And everything seemed fine. And it was after Christmas, I believe it was like the 28th of December. He said, I got up and I said to my wife and my kids, I don't feel very good. And then he fell on the ground. And he said, the next thing I remember, it was the month of March and I was in a hospital bed. What had happened in this time that he didn't know about was that they rushed him to Toronto from Sudbury, which is a four-hour drive, and they took a whole bunch of scans, and the doctor took his wife in and said, here's the scan of your husband's brain. There's air bubbles in the brain. That's not a good sign, and I hate to tell you this, but this might be one of the last days that your husband is going to be alive, and so I'm encouraging you to get the family members to come and see him because it's going to probably be the last time you see him. And so what she did is she gathered the family. But what she did is she got a a group of people who she knew how to pray. And they began to pray. And uh, he hung on. And they did another scan. And they couldn't find those air bubbles there. But there's a whole bunch of other problems. There was a deep infection that was there. And there were other things that they didn't know about. And the doctor said, okay, so maybe he's not going to die today, but it's probably going to be within the next month or the next week or two. And and things just went on and can, people continued to pray. And we all of a sudden had one back, backward step with a forward step. And, and all of a sudden he had an infection. And I remember reading these things and just thinking to myself, poor Dave, I don't know if he's even going to make it. And then all of a sudden one day it said, praise the Lord, the infection is gone. And so we have to put a hole in his esophagus because they need to clean out all of the infection that is left over there. But it looks like they're probably going to see things and we don't know what's going to happen. He's got months and months and months of therapy. We don't think, the doctors are basically saying he is not going to be the same person. Be prepared with the fact that there's going to be a lifelong therapy which is going to be in his life. And so we just kept on praying. (coughs) Two weeks They're saying everything is looking great, and we're just so thankful for God for everything that He has done. And they had a, I guess, a drive-by parade as he sat in his his lawn. And, And of course, I can't drive to Sudbury. That's kind of a long drive. So what I did is I waited a week. And I called him. I think it was Tuesday. I called him. And he was so happy to hear from me. And he said, you know what? I have recovered all of my faculties. There is no repercussions of it. I have all of my bearings. I have all of my mental ability. All I have right now is I have is a bit of a lisp, and my right hand is still a little bit weak. But the doctors are saying that within the next month, that will all go because the muscle from the, the tracheotomy has to be strengthened. And so I'm going to lose the lisp, and, and my hand's getting stronger. And I'm thinking of going back to work in, in the end of August, which he probably won't. <laughs> And he said, I'm just so thankful for God. And and I remember sitting there for an hour having him talk my ear off to my delight. One of my best friends seeing this miracle which is taking place where the doctors had given up on a number of times and this is the last. And and here he is talking to me and, and articulating things the way he used to. And he stops at the end and he says this to me. He says, after going through all of this there's two things that continually race through my mind the first one is this why so why am I the one that is favored when I know so many other people who have gone to go through the other and have not seen the same results that I have for some reason God has allowed me to come back 100% and the other thing that he said is this he says I don't know what to do so what do I do? How do I, how do I say thanks? How do I, how do I operate in my life when I realize that the next 30 years of my life are 30 years that maybe should have never happened? And I don't know if he was really understanding the ramifications of what he was saying, but as I listened to him, I realized that what he was talking about was acknowledgement. I always say thanks to a God who has done so much for me when I didn't even deserve it. And you know what? We're not too far from Dave. Oh, no, we may not have been in the hospital and been in a coma for two and a half or three months, whatever the case was. But God did save you. It is impossible for you to get into heaven by yourself. You may think you can do it by all your good works, but you can't. The only reason that you get into heaven is because of God and God alone who came and died on a cross for you so that you can have life. And you sit in your car or you sit in your apartment or you sit online as you're talking about this because there's a God who created the universe, who saw your plight, sent his son to die on a cross for you. And you are left here to say two things. Why me, God? What is it that I have? That you would come and save me. And the second one, hopefully, is this. So how do I let my life represent what you have done for me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Know him and remember. And the most important thing you can do is make your life an element of worship so that he can direct your path. Father, I just pray that you will minister to each and every person who's hearing. And they might be here listening to this sermon uh, in the comfort of hopefully a cool air-conditioned car. Maybe there's some people who are um, in the apartments, maybe sitting in their lawn chair just outside of their apartment listening, maybe on the radio. Maybe there's people who are on live stream and God is speaking to their heart. I pray that you move. There might be some people who are are, are listening in the apartment and say, well, I I don't even plan on ever coming to this church. And uh, hey, I serve a a different religion and and I really don't care what you do. I'm going to pray for wisdom for you no matter what. Whether you ever come to this church or not, whether you ever find yourself in in church or not, I'm going to pray that God is going to give you wisdom for whatever you are going through. But for that person who needs wisdom at work, for that person who needs wisdom with their family, for that person who needs wisdom just with direction, for that person who needs help with whatever situation i can't even describe to you father i pray that you move but in god in that time father i pray that we will acknowledge you and not just this time but every single day every single moment every single circumstance every single day where your mercy is new every morning and you operate continually in my life god i pray that you move God, I pray that you do something special. Lord, we are going to go through a time in post-COVID where there is not a a notebook that is going to tell us what to do. What we need is wisdom on a new level. What we need is a God wisdom. We need wisdom from a God who not only knows the past, but the present and the future. And we submit to that God right now, asking God that you will move. And for those people who don't know Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they will come to a point where they accept you as Lord and Savior and give you everything. So, Lord, have your way. Bless and minister to all of us. Let us have a nice, safe, cool day today. And, Lord, continue to be with us, Father, as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.